Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. There's a few of you here a little older than I am. I don't remember this show when it first came on TV, but I do remember seeing some reruns back in the 50s and 60s called What's My Line? Do you remember that? They had four people there trying to guess. Someone would come in and sign their name on the chalkboard, and they had to guess through yes or no answers what profession, what job they had. I saw one on YouTube just the other day. He was the current governor of Delaware, but had to guess what his occupation was before he became governor. He was a manufacturer of fertilizer. I can only imagine how that question, that question went. So they're trying to guess the occupation of the line of work, what's my line in that game show. Or if it's a celebrity guess, they were blindfolded, and the celebrity had to disguise their voice, figure out who it was, Bob Hope or Andy Griffith or someone, they had to figure out who he was. So they're trying to figure out what they're all about. Well, in our text, in the Gospel of Mark has been looking these past weeks, uh, people are trying to figure out Jesus. What's his line? Well, not only his occupation, but who is this guy? Um, remember when um, Jesus, as I said, had the uh, midterm exam with his disciples in chapter 8, and he said, who do people say that I am? And they gave different answers, like some say, well, you're John the Baptist, which I think is kind of crazy because they were together at the same time. Some said, well, you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Or you are one of the prophets, or you are the Messiah, or you're a false Messiah. You're not really who you say you are, or you're a rabbi, which means teacher, or you're a miracle worker, or whatever people would say who Jesus was, trying to figure out who he is. And Jesus was very cryptic when he, in his ministry, he would heal someone. He'd say, well, don't, don't tell anybody about this. You know, go to the priest and, and do what you need to do or go back home and, and tell what God's done for you. But you want to kind of keep it kind of on the hush and hush. Now, Jesus did messianic things. It did things like he healed people, people who were blind or who, who were uh, lame, or he, he did miracles like walking on the water. He, he preached about the kingdom of God. He, he cast out demons. He did all kind of messianic things. But he wasn't really saying yet that he was Messiah. People were kind of, what's going on here? Well, in chapter 14, uh, this is the context. Chapter 11 of Mark is beginning of what we call Holy Week. And chapter 11 is triumphal entry when, when Jesus comes in on that donkey. And then we have him teaching during the week, and all kinds of things are happening. And, and then on Thursday night, we have what we call the Last Supper of Disciples, a Passover meal. And after that, they went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And later on in the middle of the night, maybe 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, he's arrested and brought before the council. And that's where our text is today. He is before the council. Uh, the bulletin says, uh, my text is really 61 and 64, but I want to pick up in verse 53. In chapter uh, 14, beginning at verse 53, to get the whole context uh, through 65. So, would you honor God and his holy word by standing with me, please? Mark 14, beginning at verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. 
And Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many had bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him, observing of death. And some began to spit at him and cover his face, to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with many blows. May be seated, please. So Jesus, probably 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, maybe 6 o'clock in the morning, this is an illegal trial, by the way, because it's done before sunrise. But the councils come together, these, the Sanhedrin, the this, this Supreme Court, you might say, of the Jewish nation, have gathered together to try to uh, condemn Jesus to death, at least bring him to the Roman authorities. And, and they're trying to, to, to get him on something, and all these testimonies didn't agree. They were false testimonies. And, and finally... Uh, the, the trial's going nowhere. It's falling apart. And finally, the, the high priest asked him in verse 61, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Now, I want you to notice carefully how Jesus answers. He answers in two ways. The first answer is this. He says, yes, I am the Messiah. That's verse 61. He says, I am. Now, at this point, we have no more secrecy. Jesus is not saying, don't tell anybody. He has let the cat out of the bag, you might say. He is saying to the high priest and all those there, I am God's anointed. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I am the Messiah. Now let's stop just for a second and let's remember what being a Messiah meant, at least how they understood the Messiah at that time. In the Old Testament, we have all these kind of prophecies that the Messiah, the one to come, the number one Messiah that God's going to bring, the Redeemer, would be a son of David. That means a couple things. It means he'd be in the lineage of David. From the line of David would be the Messiah. And also, a son of David also implied he would be a king. The son of David was a king. So not only were you related to David in your lineage, but you would be a king. That's what being a Messiah meant. And we said Wednesday night, the word Christ and Messiah and King can all mean the same thing. So a son of David is a descendant of David, and he is a king. And Messiahs do at least two things. They cleanse the temple, make it pure, and they win the victory. They defeat the enemy. So many people in this time period, the Jews were under the thumb of Rome, and they're looking for a Messiah to ride a white horse and defeat Rome and get rid of Rome. So we can be the top dog again. That's a lot of people thinking that. But some were good students of the Bible and saw the suffering servant poems in Isaiah. There's four of those in there. That God has sent his servant to do many things. And one of them is, is to suffer for sin and to suffer as a servant. Is that all of Israel? Is that a Messiah? They had debates among themselves. 
So they're asked some questions like, how can a victorious military leader, king, and a suffering servant be the same person? That doesn't make any sense. So some Jews thought there'd be two messiahs. There'd be a victorious king on a white horse winning the victory messiah, and there would be a messiah who'd be kind of be a priestly messiah of some sort. That's kind of the way they were trying to deal with that. A king and a priest. And ever since the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, there was a buzz. In fact, before Jesus came on the scene, when John the Baptist was baptizing, they got all excited because this is the first prophet of Israel since Malachi, 400 years earlier. So God has been silent as far as prophets are concerned for 400 years, and John the Baptist comes on, and what a stir, what a buzz he made. They asked him, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I am not. You know, I may be a lot of things, I'm not the Messiah. In fact, I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. And since Jesus was baptized and started doing his public ministry, and he was healing, and so forth, people were starting to get a buzz. Who is this guy? He's doing miracles. He he multiplies bread for 5,000 and then for 4,000. He he walks on water. He steals the storm. Wow, who is this guy anyway? He heals those who are lame. He he gives sight to the blind. He he cast out demons out of those who are demon-possessed. Wow, what a, who is this guy? What's his, what's his line? Uh, and his preaching ministry, teaching ministries, preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, using parables, just like Isaiah said the Messiah would. So he's doing all these messianic things. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, in Mark chapter 8 with that midterm exam, and disciples voiced by Peter, that you are the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you guys made an A+. plus. I am the Messiah, but don't tell anybody yet. And then he says to them, I have to go to Jerusalem and be arrested and be beat up and be to die and be resurrected. And then what's talking about. Remember that? And Peter goes to him and says, Jesus, may this never happen. Because Messiahs don't die. Messiahs aren't defeated. Messiahs win. So Peter didn't understand, and that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because they understood his Messiah, but not like they thought he was going to be. Mark chapter 11, when Jesus comes on triumphal entry, he is, Jesus is making a very bold claim. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He gets on this donkey. He fulfills prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, saying, your king will come in riding on a donkey. Jesus says, I am that king. Without saying it, he was playing that out. He goes in on Monday and cleanses the temple. That's what messiahs do. They cleanse temples. Jesus saying, it's, I'm the Messiah. This is my father's temple, and you're ruining it. So Jesus is doing this messianic things, and the crowd is getting stirred up. And then at the Passover meal, that last supper on Thursday night, a time to remember, a time to reflect God's deliverance from a world power from Egypt. Man, the Jews, when they came to Passover, they're remembering how God used Moses and used uh, all those uh, miracles, those plagues, to defeat this world power. Wow, won't God do it this year and defeat the Romans, this world power? That's why the Passover was kind of a, a, a high-tension time for the Romans and for the Jews. So people were asking, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he ready to overthrow the the yoke of Roman oppression? Is he going to lead us to victory? Well, all this talk is a threat to the the high priest and to the council. He's got to be getting rid of. Obviously, he's obviously not the Messiah. And he's he's stirring up stuff. And if we don't take care of this, Rome's going to take care of it. And they're going to kick us out. 
and put somebody else in the high priest. We can't do this. we got to secure our position here. We're, and, and they're trying to get rid of Jesus. They're trying to, to find some testimony to, to get rid of Jesus. And they're not getting anywhere in our text. And finally, in verse 61, but he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, he cuts to the chase. All right, forget all the stuff. Let, let's get to the, what the bottom line is. Jesus, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Are you the Messiah? So, so point blank, the high priest is asking that $64,000 question. That's what we're all thinking about. Let's cut to the chase. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus says, yes, I am. Now, it says in our text here, which is correct, I am. But there's, there's an uh, emphasis there. It's like, we mentioned this Wednesday night. It's like, yes, indeed, indeed, I am. Yes, I am. And we hear an echo of that, don't we? The I am from the burning bush, don't we? When Moses came to the burning bush there in Exodus 3, and, and Moses asked God, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. So he's not saying that exactly, but it's, it's a hint of that. Jesus is kind of hinting at I am with that, that phraseology, and I'm sure the high priest heard that too, an echo of the I am from the bush. As if when Jesus started his ministry, he, he, he's blowing up a balloon. And it's getting bigger and bigger of every miracle and every sermon and getting to coming in on a donkey. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now when they ask him, are you the Messiah? He says, I am. Boom. The balloon is busted. The cat is out of the bag. There is no turning back. The line has been drawn in the sand. Jesus proclaims that he is God's Messiah. Now, just stop for a second. That's audacious. I don't care who you are. That's audacious. He is claiming to be the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. He's proclaiming that he is the true king of Israel. Wow. Or we say wowzers. I mean, this, this is, wow. Now, Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah, and that was explosive enough. But he continues. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. He's saying, yes, also I am the Son of Man. What does that mean, Son of Man? Now, that has been Jesus' favorite uh, designation for himself. He called himself Son of Man a lot. And we'll, we'll unpack that for a second, too. So when he says, uh, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, what does this mean? Uh, you can listen or you can turn to the Psalms, Psalm 110. In fact, Jesus mentioned this uh, during the Holy Week. He's asking them a question about this. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 1 says, and this is a Psalm of David the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, let me again unpack this. Now, most translations will see this. The Lord, that's in small caps, that means Yahweh. Yahweh says to my Lord, that's not Yahweh, that means like master. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make the, your enemies your footstool. Now, if you keep reading through Psalm 110, he talks about this 
Lord of David's. That's what David, Jesus asked the question during Holy Week, how can Messiah be son of David when David calls him Lord? And they didn't have an answer for that. But, the, but he's saying here, sit at my right hand into your enemies or your footstool. So when Jesus says, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, this high preacher thinking, Psalm 110, verse 1. You're claiming to be David's Lord and sitting at God's right hand? Wow. Now, what does it mean to sit on God's right hand? That does not mean God's left-handed. Okay, I'm just, okay. you'll get that later. Okay, um, sitting on his right hand means he is sharing the throne. When a king and queen sit together, they're together. They rule together. Jesus saying, by sitting on God's right hand, I am ruling the universe along with God. That's pretty audacious. Now, what if I said that to you? One day I'll rule, sit beside God, right hand. You'll say, oh, Looney Boone, Looney Tunes for you. you you're, you're crazy. This, Jesus saying crazy things. He is saying he is equal to God. You will see the Son of Man, that's the term for himself, seated at the right hand of power. That means God. And coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. If you have your Bible, please turn to Daniel 7. This is, this is an extremely important passage. We've got to unpack this. Now, in Daniel 7, he has, Daniel has this, this tremendous vision of these four beasts, the first part of chapter 7. And these four beasts talk about four different uh, empires, four different kingdoms that are to come. And it's pretty frightening. Beginning at verse 9, is a vision he has. As I look, this is Daniel writing, as I look, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and a thousand thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Wow. What, what, what's the picture here? The Ancient of Days is God. God's on his throne. It's judgment day. God is on his throne. The books are being opened. There's fire issuing forth. This is a a picture of judgment. And God is on the throne judging. He has another vision. Verse 13 of chapter 7. I saw the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Whoa, what a line that. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, this person like a son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Say it again, Fred. Wow. Now, I think Jesus is getting a son of man from this passage here. Now, so what does what son of man mean? Well, it, it's... Well, I'll get that in a second. The picture here is this person, like a son of man, is presented to the ancient of days. Now, this clouds of heaven, I think many times we have the picture of, of Jesus coming back on the clouds, coming back to earth on the clouds. That's not what this is saying here. 
He's coming on the clouds of heaven. He's coming up to the throne. He's been exalted. He's coming up to the ancient of days, being presented to him. And to him, meaning the Son of Man, is given this kingdom and this dominion, an everlasting dominion that shall not be destroyed. Now, what kind of person can serve, can rule an everlasting kingdom? Everlasting person, right? So we're seeing some hint of humanity like a son of man. We're seeing some hint of divinity too here, are we not? It's interesting that Jesus would use the term son of man, his favorite term for himself. Now when Jesus was walking on earth, his earthly ministry, he would say the son of man, meaning himself, and that was so ambiguous. People didn't understand what that meant. It was unclear to his listeners what, what, what he's talking about here. Now, in one sense, it means he's identifying with humans. I'm human. I'm a son of man. And, and God did call uh, Ezekiel son of man in his ministry. And Ezekiel is just a man like you and me. He did call him son of man. So some humanness there. But the son of man in Daniel 7 has somewhat of a divinity about him. Like a son of man. Daniel 7 implies the son of man is an everlasting person, is a divine person. And I think it's interesting that in the gospel accounts, Jesus talks about himself in the third person. You with me? The son of man. It, it, it's it's kind of like, that's weird. I mean, that's weird. What, what if I said, you know, the preacher's hungry. Or the pastor's ready for a nap. You say, well, what's with him? Right? When somebody said in the third person, that's just kind of weird. But Jesus did it all the time. He talks about himself in the third person. The Son of Man must go to another city and preach. I thought it was weird, too, for many reasons. Until some recent years, I, I discovered or was told that many times in the Old Testament, God spoke about himself in the third person, Yahweh. And Jesus acting just like the Father. <laughs> he talks about himself in the third person. So I think the Son of Man, even though we say Son of Man sounds like his humanity, okay, I think it says more about his divinity. Really. He's calling himself a divine person. And I think back to our text in, in chapter 14 of Mark, I think the, the high priest knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Now look, look at verse 62 again. And Jesus said to him, I am... And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Wowzers again. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? The high priest knew exactly what Jesus was saying, what he's implying, what he's saying specifically. He is saying, We don't need any other witnesses. Guys, we got them. We got them, we got them, we got them. Uh, he is blasphemed. He is, Jesus is affirming that he is equal to God. He is for affirming that he will be the judge on judgment day. He says, I will rule everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that won't be destroyed. Jesus doesn't say it in the text, but the implication is, guys, you think you're judging me here? I'll be judging you one day. Right? That's audacious. That's crazy talk. That's incredible. That's just fantastic. Now, one of the high priests kind of ripped, you know, kind of a, a symbol of, of grief, of, of, you know, my goodness. 
he is saying crazy things. Now, you've heard me say before, perhaps, my favorite author, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. He's got a great quote in this book, Mere Christianity, that you may have heard before, probably have. As, Jesus, as he kind of describes what Jesus is saying in his, in his earthly ministry, including here, what Lewis writes in his book, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Either would be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is a son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He does not intend to. Great moral teachers don't say stuff like this. He's crazy. Or it's true. So Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the king of Israel. He's claiming to be the son of man at the right hand of God, the king of our everlasting kingdom, the king of Israel, but also the king of God's eternal kingdom. So the question is, well, the high priest has asked this question, but I think we as readers of the gospel ask this question, how good is his claim? I mean, talk is cheap. You can say what you want to say. This man, within 12 hours of this time, is dead on a Roman cross, a criminal of the state of Rome. That's it. He, he died. I'm sure the high priest said, Obviously, he's a false messiah. Messiahs don't die on crosses. This is a horrendous death. It's an ignoble death. It's a terrible death. He's a false messiah. Messiahs don't die. That's it. But, 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 three days later, he rose from dead. This vindicates him. God has vindicated Jesus of what he said is true. If he was just a crazy man, he'd still be on the ground. And we can ignore him completely. See, God gave him the good housekeeping seal of approval because he raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates that what he claimed to be was true. He is Israel's true Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. He is the true king. He will rule everlasting kingdom. He is the world's eternal king. Let me read a part of that Lewis quote again, just to make sure we, we got it. You can set up, shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. That's the choices we have. Have you fallen at the feet of Jesus and called him your Lord and King? Will you? He is King. He is the King. Will you surrender to him?
He is the king. He's in control. So you can trust him. He is the king. He is God, our king. Let's worship him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this event that's drawn out so perfectly for us by Mark. Thank you for your clear proclamation and vindication by the Father through the resurrection. And we've gathered in this room here to say you're not a madman, you're not a demon, but you are the world's true Lord the true and coming king, but the king now. We bow before you, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, as our God now, but look forward to the coming kingdom, eternal kingdom, kingdom that will not be destroyed, everlasting kingdom that's ruled by this everlasting Lord Jesus. Help us to surrender. Help us to trust you. Help us to worship you. Help us to serve you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.